Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year, for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Andrea Dunlop is the author of Women Are the Fiercest Creatures, a novel. And if you can hear my smile as I say this, it is because this is our second Zibby book to be published. It is also the first novel Zibby Books is releasing. That is the publishing company that I started, which started with My What If Year by Alicia Fernandez Miranda. Andrea Dunlap is the author also of We Came Here to Forget, published in 2019, and She Regrets Nothing, 2018. 
and Losing the Light in 2016. She will publish a work of nonfiction called Nobody Should Believe Me by St. Martin's Press in June of 2023. In addition to her books, she is host and creator of the true crime podcast, Nobody Should Believe Me. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Andrea. I hope you follow her on her tour. It's on zibbybooks.com slash Andrea's dash launch, or you can just go to authors and tour on zibbybooks.com and go to an event. She'll be in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Seattle, LA. Go find her, find us, support her, check out the book and just come along for the ride. It'll be fun. Enjoy our conversation. Welcome, Andrea. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Women Are the Fiercest Creatures, which just happens to be the first Zibby Books novel. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you so much. And congratulations right back at you. You just launched a publishing imprint and a bookstore, and it's just very, very exciting, and it's exciting to be a part of. So Uh-oh. thank you for having me on the show Thank you for publishing my novel. It's been, it's been so much fun. I'm so excited. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, Andrea, why don't you tell listeners what your book is about? And by the way, I watched your interview with the Thursday authors, the interview you did, the 60 seconds, whatever. And I loved the way you described the book where you said, um, what did you say? Fierce feminist family drama. I think I said fast-paced feminist family drama. Yes. yes that's even better. <laughs> Yes. I decided to go for the alliteration. No, I loved it. I I was like, I literally wrote it down. I was like, why are we not putting that everywhere? That's what we have to be saying. (laughs) Yeah. They asked me for three words. And so I was like, all right, what are my three words? That was kind of a fun challenge. Um, Yes. But Women Are the Fiercest Creatures is the story of three women who are sort of what we would think of as the women behind the man of a big tech CEO who's about to take his company public and whose uh, contributions to the women in the book have made major contributions to this company, but they've basically gone unrecognized. And so this man's past sort of comes to haunt him at the worst possible moment and the lives of all three of these women converge in a in a pretty dramatic way. So it is about motherhood, it is about technology. It is about being a woman our age. I think sort of a millennial, older millennial, exennial, if that's what they're calling us, Gen X woman, where you know we were really raised to think that we were going to have everything equal, and and then maybe that's not exactly how things shook out. Interesting. <laughs> okay, tell everybody a little bit more about the three women. Okay, so I have two main characters who you are hearing the book's perspective from them. So that is Sam Flores Walsh, and she is Mexican-American, incredibly smart, one-time programmer turned fitness guru (laughs) who now owns her own very successful yoga and fitness studio. And she is a single mom. And she moves to Portside, Washington, which is a fictional town that is somewhat based on the town I live. If people are familiar with Seattle area, I always kind of say I kind of meshed up Edmonds, where I live in Mercer Island, to to make Portside, Washington. But she she moves to Portside, Washington to open a new fitness studio and to deal with some past business that she's decided it's time to take care of. And uh, my other main character is Anna Sarnoff. She is 
the ex-wife of the aforementioned tech CEO, whose name is Jake. And she has just had a quick divorce from him where he did the most cliche thing possible of leaving her for a woman 15 years younger. They have two sons together. She has sacrificed really sort of her career and her talents to put into the business that he was building. And she finds herself, you know, post-divorce, still very enmeshed with Jake, you know, in his life and his company and, and trying to just sort of figure out where she belongs and how she can how she can best move forward. And then there is also Jake's new wife, his young wife, Jessica, who is pregnant during a lot of the book and has a new baby in part of it. And she is dealing with, you know, being a much younger spouse and dealing with, you know, all of the sort of changes of identity of going through your first pregnancy and postpartum period, which were things that were very much on my mind <laughs> while I was writing this book even though I am going through them at a much more senior age than Jessica. It's Jessica's 25. But I was pregnant with my daughter, who is now four and a half, when I started writing this book. And I finished writing it when I was pregnant with my son, who is now eight months old. I feel like he was just born. That happened like... Me too. <laughs> I think between, and then there was, I always kind of forget. I mean, I don't forget, but I, there was a whole entire global pandemic in between those pregnancies. So time is warped sort of beyond repair for me at, at this point where I'm just like, when did that happen? You know, when, where am I? What, what year is it? So all, all three, all three of my characters are sort of dealing with motherhood in different ways. So that certainly is a huge theme in the book. So Take me back to you pregnant with your daughter and wanting to start a new book and thinking, what should I do or how did it happen? And then the moment you started to write, like where, what happened in between there and how did that all start? Oh my gosh. I'm trying to remember. Um, again, it feels <laughs> like I'm just like, feels like I'm sort of spelunking through like the cave of my memory of the last few years. But yeah, so I, you know, I had just finished while I was pregnant with Fiona, which was 2018. I had just finished writing. I finished writing We Came Here to Forget, which was my last novel that came out in 2019. I finished writing that while I was pregnant with her. And for me... I always have to start a new book as soon as I possibly can because it is my way to sort of move past the last book. You know, you get so, I mean, you know this, like you get so enmeshed in a book when you're writing it, you get so attached to the characters, you get so in the world of it. And then there's sort of a void when you're done writing it. It's very exciting to be done writing it. I'm often like, especially when I'm talking about a completed, completed book, like up to publication. At that point, I'm usually pretty sick of it. There's part of me that's just like, get this thing out of my face. I never want to see it again. <laughs> um, like I have a little bit of that feeling, but I have that, I have that void and I, I really love to have something to be working on. And I really have found that as I've gotten into my publishing career, you know, this is my, this will be my fourth book coming out in two weeks here. And I sometimes really miss before I was ever published, which of course, when, before I was ever published, all I wanted to do was get a book deal and be a published author. But I think there was something really like, I get nostalgic about sort of writing just for myself and not having all these other, you know, not talking to my agent about it or thinking about deals or like any, not having the business side sort of encroach on that. And so I think like, I find that if I get a book off and like, okay, that's done, 
then I have kind of this little window before I have to start thinking about business again. And I really like to start writing while I'm still in that window. And I can just think of it as this is a book I'm writing and I don't have to think about what's going to happen to it. So I started writing this book and it went through many iterations. There was always Sam. Sam was always, Sam and Jake were always kind of at the center. Uh, You know, there was like a lot of other characters (laughs) and sort of different perspectives in there. You know, at one point or another, this went through a lot of revisions, which is pretty typical for me. I tend to write like 100,000 word, (laughs) you know, bloated first drafts and then just, you know, cut massive sections and whole characters. And and, and I, I honestly like that. I like to just let my imagination really like go bonkers and just not think about like, oh, is this really where I want the story to go? I'd be like, maybe not, but maybe I'm telling myself something crucial about where the story is going or is not going. And I just need to write it to see. So that's, that's kind of how I started the book. I knew, I knew Sam was going to be a big part of it. I knew she was going to be a mom and I knew she was like on a mission to deal with some past business. So that's, that's where I started. Love that. Did you always want to be a writer? When did you know you wanted to be a novelist? And take me back there. Oh, gosh, I think like five. I mean, I yeah, I did always want to be I did always want to be a writer. You know, my mom, (laughs) my mom always talks about that she would find like, first of all, the way that I played with toys was that they always just started talking to each other and kind of going off on adventures. So I always just clearly had that sort of like, narrative (laughs) running and she would find you know as I got old enough to write she would just find like little scraps of paper all over the place with like bits of dialogue on them and um and little scenes and so I you know and I always loved that part of school where we were writing and writing stories and and so yeah I mean that was just something I was always super drawn to I mean I consider myself really really (laughs) lucky that I'm here because I didn't really want to do anything else with my life and I mean I I have now you know now I am doing some other stuff with my life I'm doing some you know, I'm a podcaster and I'm doing some some work around child abuse advocacy. But you know, those are not obviously things that first of all, podcasting didn't exist when I was a kid. But I mean, those are those are also very rewarding. But I mean, in terms of like the job that I wanted, you know, this was it. This was always it. That was so cool. Wait, tell everybody more about your podcast. Okay, so my podcast is called Nobody Should Believe Me. Our first season is out now in its entirety, so you can go binge it. Uh, And we are getting our second season out hopefully in May, so that is coming as well. It is an investigative true crime podcast about Munchausen by Proxy, which is a form of child abuse where a caregiver fabricates, exaggerates, or induces medical issues in their child for the purposes of attention. It's something I think people have become more aware of in the past few years. There's big shows like The Act and Sharp Objects, but this is, you know, we really tried to bring like a lot of humanity to the topic. It's something that's very close to my heart because we had a situation in my family that I talk about on the podcast. And interestingly, you know, these two projects, the book and the podcast, you know, came together during the same time period. And I think that both of them had a lot to do with me becoming a mother. And, you know, I think like one of the best things that can happen to you as a creative person is to have something that dramatically shifts your perspective and nothing, nothing shifts your perspective like becoming a parent. And so, I mean, at least for me. (laughs) And so I think that, you know, that has really like, it's interesting how these projects sort of play in to each other. You know, although the other project is, you know, obviously very serious and you're talking about people's real lives. You know, I think like I I still try to bring, 
I think actually that my experience as a novelist, even though I was a newbie podcaster, really helped me sort of figure out, you know, how to put myself in someone else's shoes, how to be empathetic to people who were opening up to me about the worst thing that ever happened to them. And, and you know, and working on sort of storytelling in that audio format was really, really interesting. So it's been really interesting to work on on the two projects simultaneously. And sometimes I think like, did I really need to take all this on when I had two, <laughs> two really little kids? But I don't, I don't think it happened by accident. I mean, I think that these projects really came from, from that experience. Can you share a little more about your personal experience with Munchausen by Proxy? Yes. So I have an older sister who has been investigated twice for Munchausen by proxy abuse. She has not been charged with a crime. There is a lot actually that has come up about her case since I started researching the podcast. I'm going to talk about in season two, but yeah. And and we, because of that, because of that situation, which was with her younger child, the first time it happened, my entire family is estranged from her for the last 12 years. So that's been a really hard thing. And it took me a very, very long time to be able to talk about it publicly. The first time I ever talked about it publicly was after my last book, We Came Here to Forget, came out because that was partially inspired by my family story. And so I started doing press about it. That's how I met these experts that now I'm on a committee with the American Professional Society on the Abuse of Children. They have a Munchausen by proxy committee. I'm on it with a bunch of like experts and everyone else has a PhD <laughs> other than me. And so I'm, I'm really like, it's taken me in such an interesting path when I started talking about it. And I, ke- I kept sort of thinking like, okay, I'm just going to talk about this part of it this time, but it's just, it's just kind of evolved. And so putting the podcast together and putting that under the world has been a really positive experience. So it's obviously, it's a very negative thing. It's the hardest thing that's ever happened to me in my life. It continues to be the hardest part of my life because it's not really over. And it's been really wonderful to connect with other people who've been through it. Everyone else I've talked to who has a family member or is a survivor was the only, like, that was their first contact. You know, it's like, this just very, very isolating. It's not something, a lot. many people think it's rare. It's often described as rare. I have really come to strongly believe that it's not rare from having talked to, you know, all of these experts and just sort of my anecdotal experience of like putting the podcast out and having so many people reach out to me. I think that this phenomenon is happening a lot more than than people realize. And, and so I think, you know, anything I can do to sort of help raise awareness for it and, and to do it in a, in a really respectful, humane way, you know, a lot of the coverage of cases in the media is problematic to say the least. You see a lot of cases that are about falsely accused parents, quote, that I have reading them. I have a lot of questions about whether that's true or not, because I know the system is very broken in terms of holding perpetrators accountable. You see a lot of cases about children who die. It is the most deadly form of child abuse. But, you know, obviously we don't want to overfixate on the worst case scenarios because we want people to intervene before that happens. And then, you know, the coverage of these cases often gets very, very caught up in the medical horror of it all, you know, the number of surgeries the child went through, the number of procedures and and sort of those really overwhelming and pretty dehumanizing details. A lot of times coverage 
includes a whole bunch of pictures of the kid in medical settings, which is not a thing that you should put, which is not a thing you should put out there without someone's consent, which obviously children can't consent. So it, it's it's really like the, the media coverage around it is so troubling. And I think that's really what pushed me to want to do a podcast about it and have something that I could really put together the way that I thought it should be. And that was really focused on the humanity of everyone involved, you know, including the perpetrator. Like we talked to a perpetrator in the finale of season one. One, that was a really fascinating, disturbing, interesting <laughs> conversation. You know, but I, I really like, I, these are human beings that go through this. It, it, no one who comes into contact with one of these cases, whether it's a doctor or a CPS worker or a police officer or a family member or whomever, is ever the same. Like these cases just like stick with people. So I really wanted to talk about all of that. And and in season two, we're going to talk to some more survivors. And I'm really excited about that because as I've met some survivors, I've been just blown away by their resilience. And, you know, humans are incredible. They can put themselves back together after the most horrific childhoods, after the most horrific experiences. So so it's interesting. It, it started off in, you know, a dark place. But I think, like, it's been a very, it's also been a really positive thing in my life. Well, thank you for being so open and sharing about that here and everywhere. And, you know, yeah, thank you for asking. I didn't realize it was so recent that you started sharing about it because you had yeah. been sharing when I knew when I met you. So anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it sort of, you know, I really thought like, I'll write this book with We Came Here to Forget. I thought I'll write this book. I'll have my moment of novel catharsis. I mean, if you are a novelist, you are going to write about whatever your big thing is, you know, eventually. And I, I remember like, I remember when that idea for that book came and that was so different than my other books. It just came out. I did not write a bajillion versions of it. It came out and I revised that version of it a bunch of times, but it was very different. And I just thought, okay, I guess I'm doing this now. Like, I guess this is the time, you know, and it was when, because we were thinking about having children and I, you know, was like, okay, it's time to deal with my big family demons. Um, And I kind of thought, you know, I'll write, I'll write this. I'll try and make it, you know, it's obviously want to make it a, a good novel and readable and fast paced and all those things I like to bring to my novels, but I'll have my sort of catharsis in my moment. I'll try and raise some awareness about this and that will be it. I will be done with this. I will put this away. I'll put it in a box. And that's not what happened. And and so I think everything that's happened since then has has sort of happened one thing at a time. You know, I met this person, I met this other person, and these all came together. So that's always sort of something that makes you feel like you're on the right track. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, 
like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, in knowing all of the backstory, I feel like it brings a different understanding to women are the fiercest creatures and the different ways that the different women mother or parent in the story. And I'm wondering, were you trying, is there some message with each parent, each woman that you're trying to get at, or is it overall more an examination of the different ways that we all can muddle through? And and what are some of the takeaways about parenthood that, that come out of the book for you or that you intended to put in? Yeah, I think for me, it just, it we have a real hard time in this culture seeing mothers as human beings. <laughs> with all of their, you know, flaws and good qualities. And, you know, I mean, this obviously is in a lot of your work too. It's like there's such a standard of sort of perfect motherhood, right? And like, if you're a stay-at-home mom, then everyone's condescending to you. And if you're a working mom, then everyone makes you feel guilty about being away from your children. And it's like, there's just literally no way to win. It's like, don't try because there's no way to win. (laughs) Um, And so I think, you know, you see like all three characters who are moms in the book and actually even four, like, because there's Jake's mom too, right? And like, she's, she's making some questionable choices, but like, you know, like also is trying her best. And I think like, that is what I think like all of the women who are mothers in the book are trying their best and trying their best in a society that doesn't support them and doesn't really respect them. And that's, I mean, I think like one thing that really came through to me when I was pregnant and postpartum and just really having my first experiences with mothers is like, wow, people talk to you like you're a child when you're pregnant and when you're a first mother. And I'm like, I just brought a human onto this earth. This is the most grown up thing I have ever done. Like I have never been more of a grown up than I am right now. I just took responsibility for someone else's entire being. Why are you talking to me like I'm five? You know, <laughs> like, and there's just so, I don't know, people are so strange about it and they sort of treat you like you're fragile and it doesn't, doesn't make any sense. I mean, because like it is, it is a fearsome thing for me and it's sort of like, you know, everyone has different experiences with childbirth. My experiences with childbirth were really positive. And I think that is sort of where like some of the energy of this book came from of like that, you know, that fierceness. I was just like, oh, holy cow, like men don't even know, like men don't even know what what goes on here. And, you know, like this is this is such a powerful thing to go through. And yeah, and then sort of like you go through all that and then you get treated like, you get treated worse, you know? And then on the other hand, it's also like, I think a huge theme of the book is the way that we treat working dads, a phrase no one ever uses, <laughs> like differently than working moms, right? So it's like, I think I thought a lot about two entrepreneurs that are famously bad fathers. <laughs> Forget their names. No, uh, Steve Jobs, if you've ever heard of him. And, you know, and Elon Musk, right? I mean, I think Steve Jobs, like he let his daughter grow up in poverty. She wrote a memoir about it. It's a very good memoir, actually. And uh, what is the name? Do you remember the name of her memoir? I called like... I wanted to small fry, small that's fry. Like, I, I, know, like, I almost I called it sweet pea. Small, small jobs, but I'm like, small, that's yeah. not what it was. <laughs> small fries, small fries. It's good. Yeah. It's very, it's very well written. And and then you know, Elon Musk is just like sort of famous for like, ha ha ha, having all these kids with all these different women. And like, can you imagine if a female entrepreneur did, or a female anyone did either of those things? That is the only thing people would ever talk about ever again. 
And like with them, it's kind of an asterisk, right? It's always an asterisk. It's like whatever they're doing in their work and look at them, they're inventing and like people, you know, love them or hate them for like their personalities and whatever. But the fact that it's like, if you are, and and I don't, I think that men, I don't, I think women should be, it's not that I don't think women should be judged on how they parent, right? Because I, I think like we're judged too harshly on how we parent. I think that it is a huge responsibility. And if you are going to be a parent, nothing says more about your character than how you treat your children. I, I I think that's fundamentally true. But it's like we, for women, it's like the sliver of like no room for error, right? It's like, you're a bad mom if you gave your kid a weird breakfast. And somehow you're a bad dad only if you like completely abandon your children. And even then people like, you know, may, maybe don't care that much if you do something else cool. So I think like that double standard is really like came into focus for me. And, you know, also like I thought a lot about entrepreneurship while I was writing this book, which I think is something that is a very like, you know, it's a very strong American obsession. You know, my dad is from another country. He's from, he's British and he's a successful entrepreneur. And it's a very, it's like a real type of person I say, as I'm talking to, you know, you entrepreneur yourself, but I mean, it, it sort of takes this huge drive and it takes up a lot of space. And a huge part of the reason that he was able to be successful was because of my mom and because she was, and theirs was not a toxic dynamic like the ones in the book. It was this, it was a dynamic that worked really well for them. But, you know, she's always taken on all the home front stuff, all of, you know, taking care of him. And it's sort of like, yeah, that it is easier to be a successful entrepreneur if you have someone just like, having your back 100% of the time, you know? And so I think that gets very erased in our, in our conversation about entrepreneurship, like how you can't really do it without a strong partner. And most men are not willing even now to sort of be that behind the scenes partner. Some are, some, some are are wonderful or that, or sort of you take turns. But, but I, I, yeah, I I think that was something that was really on my mind too, of just like the way people talk about entrepreneurship, like it's a hundred percent positive. And I'm like, there's a lot of sacrifice that goes into that. There's a lot of sacrifice and it can be very hard on a family. Like it it is, it's a different deal than having just a, a, you know, a sort of nine to five job. That is true. Yeah. How is you, how does how does your husband deal with everything? Because I feel like I feel like writing. I know it's not exactly entrepreneurship, but it kind of is because you're creating a product by yourself, which you run, and then you have to market it. Like you were saying at the beginning, all the business stuff of marketing. Like you yeah. do have to market the words to get them out there. Yeah, it's it's funny. It's sort of it's sort of somewhere between like owning a company and having a job that you go to, right? I mean, I think for me, the sweet spot is that I want to work for myself and I don't really want anyone else's livelihood to depend on me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And I don't really want to do like a lot of managing or a lot of meetings or like that kind of thing. So I think like that, that to me is, is kind of a distinct difference. Yeah. But, but I mean, no, to, to your point, like it is like, it is a, demanding career, especially as I've had sort of these things closer together. And, you know, this, this year, like I've been working on a nonfiction book and had this and had the podcast. And now we have two kids and, you know, my husband is, he works a full-time demanding job as well. He's a mechanical engineer at a space company and he's a, he's an amazing partner. I mean, I, I'm fully like, could never do it if I had a husband that, 
didn't think it was also his job to help out with. I mean, my my husband keeps the trains running around here. I mean, I I will fully cop to like my husband makes dinner most nights. That's partly because uh, the children will cling on my legs if I try and make dinner, so it becomes unsafe. But yeah, I mean he he is a he is a full partner in every way, and I think that that shouldn't be hard to find, but I think it is hard to find. Um, and so yeah, I think like. My husband is um, none of the men I have written about are anything <laughs> like my husband. <laughs> but yeah, he's, you know, and it's, it is, it's, it's hard. I mean, I think just having, I think just the full plate of having two working parents is really challenging, especially when you have two little kids. And we are really lucky also because we have family close by. So we have a lot of people around to pinch hit. So we're very lucky and it's it's unfortunate that there is absolutely no safety net in this country other than that. Like I saw something the other day where like some internet meme where someone said, oh, the only true parenting hack is living close to grandparents. And I was like, that's it. That's right. <laughs> it is definitely helpful to have active grandparents in the area. Okay. So when you think of a fierce woman in this way, women are the fiercest creatures. What does that mean to you? Oh, what a good question. I think in this way and like the things that Anna and Sam in particular and Jess are are striving for in this book is, is to be self-actualized. I think from the moment that you become a mother and, and I think like fathers experience this also, or, you know, non-birthing partners, like just if you're not the one in the couple that, that actually gives birth and is doing the mother role, um, I should say to sort of be, you know, include all couples in that. It, it's a huge shift in your identity, but I think it's very like when it is happening in your body, to your body, going through breastfeeding, going through that, you know, recovery period, like it is such a profound, it feels like your identity is sort of in danger almost when you become a mother. Like it sort of feels like it's being snatched away from you in little bits. And if you're not careful, it'll just disappear. I mean, I I really felt like I was like, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever been through. I love my kids so much. It's like this just complete all encompassing, all the cheesy things people say about like, oh my God, you just have never felt love like that. And it's so, I think it's so, it's almost because of that, that you're just like, oh, I could just, disappear into this and and absolutely lose myself in both the enormity of the feelings about this and also just the day-to-day tasks of like being a mom. You could just completely, yourself could just get completely blown apart and society would kind of condone that. You know, I mean, society would do nothing to be like, no, you need to, you know, whatever. And so I think for me, that meant continuing to work and sort of staying attached to my work. And so even though it's been stressful to have these projects so close around pregnancy, it's also been psychologically, I think, helpful. Um, and so I think with the women in the book, I think it's it's that they are in the process of trying to do what's right for themselves and their children, but also themselves and think critically about the ways that the world has has tried to take things away from them and trying to take them back. I mean, I think that like, as a woman in this world, you have to fight back. You're always going to be trying to fight back, you know? So I think it's like you, you either completely give in to the, you know, I guess you get, you give into the oblivion or you fight back. And so I think all three women are, are fighting back. And I think in that way, they're also fighting for their kids, right? I think it's really important to see, to have kids see, you know, their moms be 
be doing other things. I mean, I'm sure it's amazing for your kids to watch you doing all those things. And, you know, especially if you have daughters, but I think it's equally important for sons. I have one of each now. So, you know, like you just, you want them to, to know that you get to be a whole person too, you know? Very true. Well said. Andrea, this is so great. I'm sure this is the first of many conversations we're going to be having in the near future about the book. <laughs> but um, I'm just so excited to be publishing your novel and raising all these questions and starting all these conversations and, yeah, just being a part of the dialogue of what it means to contribute and how to be acknowledged and how to be a mom and how to be a working woman and a, also a parent and all the things that all so many of us struggle all the time. And I think your book really makes people think, really makes me think, makes it will make readers think, um, in addition to just being a delicious sort of fast-paced, fabulous read. So I'll add another Thank F you. for fabulous at the end. Thank you. All the Fs. All <laughs> Fierce the Fs. and fabulous and <laughs> fun and fast-paced and feminist. And yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. And yeah, I mean, and honestly, as a novelist, I feel like writing a book that people want to read and have fun reading and keep the pages turning is my first job always. Like, I think it's like, as much as I want people to take my work seriously and think and think deep thoughts, like if you just, if all this book is to you is like a very nice little respite away from your life, then that is good too. Yes. <laughs> you know, I yes. think like that is one of the best things books can do for a person is just like take you away for a minute. So totally. Calgon, take me away. Okay. <laughs> you probably don't know what I'm talking about. All right. Anyway. All right. Thanks, Andrea. And yay, more to come. Awesome. Thank you so much, Sippy. Thank you. Bye. Oh, this this was so much fun. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? 
Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.